Are you feeling out of your depth attempting to parent your child's online world? Parenting in Cyberspace is brought to you by Parentline and the Queensland Government. This season talks about supporting young people's online well-being and experiences with cyberbullying. I think that's what parents want, right? You want your kid to be happy, you want your kid to feel joy and, and not feel all the bad things, but without all of those bad things, you can't really experience how good the good stuff feels. Today, I am joined by Fern, who is going to be chatting about their experiences with bullying and cyberbullying. Fern is an active member of Your Town's Youth Participation Network. Youth participation at Your Town recognises that young people are the experts in their own lives and that young people are change makers, whose participation in decision-making processes is a critical part of creating meaningful change. Youth participation at Your Town engages a diverse and active range of young people, and some have direct experience with Your Town services, including Kids Helpline, currently or in the past. Youth participation gives young people the opportunity to use their time, energy, lived experience, critical thinking, and dedication to making things better for all young people and to advocate for change in their communities. Fern, thank you so much for joining me today. That's all right. Thank you for having me. To start us off today, could you tell us a little bit about your experience with bullying and cyberbullying as much as you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, absolutely. I was bullied throughout high school. I started high school in grade seven, all the way through to grade 12. And I struggled with multiple different uh, types of bullying, physical, mental, and cyberbullying as well. Um, I changed schools multiple times throughout that as well. So I had a experience in co-ed schools as well as all-girls school as well. And at the time, each school kind of had different ways of, I guess, bullying. And it, and it changed with each school that I went to. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's interesting that it changed with the different schools and that experiences, while being underpinned by similar sort of behaviours and that similar power imbalance and the aggression from the other person or people, that it played out differently in different contexts. When it was happening... Was it something that you told your parents or the schools that you were at about? So the school actually found out about what was happening, not through myself, but through other people at the school, at my first school, at my second school, and at my third school, all were reported by other people at school that I never knew who reported or anything like that. It was all anonymous. The school actually knew before my parents were told for a while. They actually sent me to counselling with the uh, pastor at the time because I was at a Catholic school and they sent us to do these joint sessions with the person that was bullying me. And the school did that without my parents knowing at all, no consent there or anything, and I didn't have a choice in the matter. I didn't get to decide whether that was something I wanted to do or not. It was just something forced upon me. And that ended up making my bullying much worse, and it progressively got worse and worse, and it was quite physical, and then that was reported and that's when my parents found out and I just left the school because I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to, I guess, deal with anything after that because I had already, lots of rumours had been spread about me and things like that. So I thought it was best if I just left. And then I guess through my second school, 
I didn't really tell my parents because I didn't want the same kind of thing to happen. I didn't, at the time, like they, there was a lot of blame thrown around and they uh, threw a lot of accusations and tried to do things without me having any choice in it and it made me feel really powerless. Um, So then I didn't choose to tell them more about what was going on in my next school, which was a lot more online bullying, which is, well, you know, cyberbullying we're talking about today. And from that cyberbullying, I got lots of death threats and things like that and I was told to kill myself and, and there were some really horrible things that went on and that was, again, reported to the school. Again, the school... Once they found out, I was sent to counselling at the school, which is just a, um, they're not qualified or anything, they're just counsellor, they're just there to listen, I guess, which ended up making things worse because obviously my parents found out about um, I was self-harming at the time and I was really struggling with all of these internalised feelings and obviously then my parents found out because I was in danger um, of harming myself, which I totally understand now as, a, as an adult that that's safety. But at the time I felt was very unfair. And I just felt like that information was also spread throughout the school, through the teachers and the students and things like that, that, that not just my parents, but everyone in my school knew about what was going on with me. And that made everything worse again. And again, I left the school because the bullying was getting too much. I didn't have any friends. I was struggling to engage at school. I would not want to go. I would be homesick a lot because I just didn't want to go to school because it just wasn't comfortable for me. Then when I moved to the next school that I went to, it was a co-ed, but it was a public school this time. So I wasn't taught any religion, which was quite different for me growing up very Catholic and I went to church on Sundays and Sunday school and got my first communion and things like that. So that was a big step away from that for me as well. And public school was different again. It wasn't as much online, more so in person, in your face, not so much physical. It was a lot more, as you got older, it was a lot more just behind your back and rumours and people saying that you did this and you did that. And you were like, what? I don't understand where this came from. And that was how I felt a lot of the time throughout high school. But yeah, my experience with telling my parents and and telling the school were never great. Um, And it's constantly why I tried to hide what I was going through. Because over and over, I was proven right, I guess, by my school, by my parents. I was judged. I was told that that I wasn't doing enough or, you know, I, I felt blame. Whether or not that was intended by the school or by my parents, that's how I felt. And it was really hard at the time to even open up to people because I had gone through this experience of trying to tell people and it ended up really badly. Mm. So I tried to, I guess, uh, seek therapy and things like that and went through a lot of different psychologists and psychiatrists trying to find the right person And it took a while, but I did find a really good psychiatrist. And I've worked through a lot of this bullying and trauma that I experienced during that time. And I think it's, although a really intense experience to talk about, I think it's important that I learned from it and I'm able to talk about it now for other people. It sounds like an incredibly difficult, not just experience, but series of experiences to go through. And listening to you telling your story really highlights for me the idea that instances of bullying and cyberbullying are not just 
isolated situations that impact people's lives, how they're dealt with and the reactions from people around you or around other people who have had similar experiences also plays a huge role in the outcome. Again, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's really useful for parents and carers and other people who are trusted adults in young people's lives to understand what is a way or what are some of the ways that young people might want to be engaged with around this topic. I guess the lessons I learned from mine were that I didn't feel listened to from my parents, from my school. I didn't feel safe enough that I wasn't going to be judged. I didn't feel safe enough to talk to people that they weren't going to blame me or I guess, yeah, going along that solving doesn't actually always solve things. Like Mm -hmm. uh, that idea of mediation, it's a great idea. And when you're an adult, it works well because you understand boundaries and what you can and you can't say and things like that. You understand a lot more about the world in general as well and how to interact socially. Whereas as a teenager, you're learning how to do that. You are You are trying to make mistakes so that you can learn the boundaries and you can figure out what's going on around you. And I really struggled with that. And I struggled being able to open up to people that I was struggling as well. And there were a few people in my life that did make me feel listened to. That's not to say that I never felt listened to. Mm. I did feel quite strongly when I was a teenager that way. I didn't feel like anyone listened to me. But it's a bit of a catch-all when you're a teenager because it's the first time you're experiencing all of these feelings and Mm. all of these emotions. It's very intense. And I think a lot of people forget that when they adults, they forget how overwhelming, how intense it feels to be a teenager. And growing up in such a different world out, the teenagers today versus, you know, the teenagers of 20 years ago, it's totally different experience. And Mm. I was on the verge of that, like social media and things growing, like MSM was a thing when I was, you know, younger. And that's what I did in like starting in grade seven, I think that's with MSN and things like that. But it got into Ask FM and and things that had really negative effects on my self-esteem and how I perceived myself. And especially because I got so many comments online about my appearance, that destroyed how I looked at myself. Mm. And it took a really long time for me to realize that that's something I wanted to work on yeah Mm. but I think the biggest thing for parents is listening to your kids listening Mm. to teenagers even if you don't understand what they're feeling or why they're feeling it or what they're going through that doesn't necessarily matter it's about being there with uncomfortable feelings because I think so often we're told to just kind of shove our feelings away and that's so common in society to just now to shove it down, shove it down. But if you sit there and you show your kids how to sit with uncomfortable feelings and that it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to feel disappointed, it's okay to, you know, be affected by people's words, but you need to realise that everyone else's opinion isn't the most important thing. But you can't just say that. You need to sit with them and let them realise that on their own. It's not something, oh, you just have to do this. Mm sitting with them and showing them how to regulate that Mm. because I didn't feel like I got that. And that's not 
either the fault of my parents. They did the best they could with what they knew, what they had. Mm. Um, and they're a lot better now with more information and more education. They work really hard to be better listeners and be better at sitting with me when I'm, you know, sad and when I'm uncomfortable and when I'm, you know, not just happy because I think that's what parents want, right? You want your kid to be happy. You want your kid mm. to feel joy and, and not feel all the bad things but without all of those bad things you can't really experience how good the good stuff feels. Mm. I think it is really important that parents learn to just take a step back and maybe analyse that they might feel a certain way about a situation but right now how their child feels or their kid feels about the situation might be more important because it's affecting them and it's in their life right now. Mm. And, yeah, just listening and not always trying to solve the issue because mm. maybe the way that you might solve the issue isn't the way your kid wants it to be solved or you don't know about the ramifications that would happen afterwards at school if you go to, say, their parents or things like that or go to the school. There's all these ramifications that that child then doesn't have any choice in and then they realise, well, they don't get a say, so don't tell anyone. And that's what I experience and I think a lot of people do experience is, well, if you tell someone about something and then you don't get a choice in how things get handled, why would you want to have that experience again? And it becomes very hard to trust people and open up about that and that's when people go down like darker paths and that's where teenagers start putting themselves in risky situations because they don't feel like they have any other way to express that because they're not shown another way. So they go looking for other ways. And I felt that as a teenager as well. I went looking for risky situations so I could feel something else other than what I was feeling because mm. I wasn't taught to sit and be okay with my emotions. And yeah. feel that feeling yeah. that you're experiencing yeah. at that time. Like you say, feeling sadness or feeling hurt and upset by whatever experience it is that you're going through, whether it's bullying or cyberbullying or something else that's going on at school or at home, learning to sit with those emotions and be comfortable with our children while they're experiencing those emotions instead of trying to pick them back up and make them happy again, I think is absolutely such an important thing to keep in the forefront of, of our minds as parents and carers. Relating to that too, I really want to highlight that sometimes young people are potentially feeling these emotions for the first time. So taking that thought a step further, they maybe don't know how to name those emotions or exactly what they might be caused by. So being able to sit there with them in those moments and allow them to process what they're feeling, where they're feeling it. So for example, are they experiencing clammy palms and a racing heart or is it somewhere else in their body that they're feeling this emotion can then help them to describe the physiological experience and subsequently name those emotions. So as parents and carers, we can then help in those moments to unpack what it is that they might be feeling and describe it and express it in a healthier way. You mentioned that you felt like when adults found out about the bullying and cyberbullying that you were going through, it felt like a lot of the control and power of the situation was taken away from you or minimised. So 
it discouraged you from telling them outright about subsequent instances of bullying and cyberbullying. I think those feelings of fear around control being taken away or what an adult's reaction might be are really common for young people and have been a bit of a common theme across a lot of these interviews in the podcast. By no means are young people or their parents and carers or whoever going to be able to control everything that happens in these situations because that's impossible but feeling like you have control to the extent that you're able to have it can be really empowering and that makes me think of something that you and I have actually spoken about before when we were talking about this podcast episode initially which was around how you tried to tell your parents and pre-gauge their reaction in those early days. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess for me, when I went to go tell my parents myself versus when they were told by other people, I obviously really struggled telling people things and would often, and not just with my parents, with people in general, I would I would gauge their responses by telling them something more easygoing and neutral versus what I actually wanted to tell them. And depending on how they reacted to that, I would then see if I could tell them actually what I wanted to tell them. But most of the time, they would have a bad reaction to whatever I was telling them beforehand, and then I wouldn't feel comfortable enough to then tell them. And um, yeah, like I said, I've, I've spoken to my mom um, now as an adult and explained to her that there was things that she did when I was younger that didn't always help me. And even though I know that it came from a place of wanting to help and, and wanting to not, for me, not to feel all of the things that I was feeling because I was very emotional, <laughs> she would, you know, I guess, try and associate and say, you know, everyone goes through this. And and for her, she said that she was trying to um, normalise it and, and make me feel more comfortable with, you know, pe- you're not alone and lots of people go through this. And for me uh, at the time, because I was suicidal and I was really struggling with my perception of myself, I felt really invalidated by that because I was like, but I don't think everyone feels exactly like I do right now. And obviously there was things I haven't hadn't told her and, you know, you know, everyone goes through this and I'd be like, oh, okay, well, if everyone goes through this, then it's probably not worth mentioning the things that I've gone through if everyone goes through this. And I do understand where she was coming from, that place of normalisation to make me feel less alone. But at the time I just needed her to listen and hear me out for what I had to say. She's a lot better at it now and we often have talks about how she would come across one way and I would take it another way. But I would also explain why I took it that way. And I think it's really nice that I can have those. And not everyone has the privilege of having that like conversation with their parents. Not everyone's parents come back and be like, you know, I did make a mistake. I didn't do everything perfect in your childhood. I think a lot of parents struggle with that, that idea of making mistakes and being able to be like, you know what, I did make a mistake and owning up to their children. If they did make a mistake, if they said the wrong thing, or if they did the wrong thing, there's, you know, very little times I remember my parents admitting mistakes to me. And if it was, it wasn't a mistake worth, to me, like the mistakes that I remember were like my dad forgot my phone on Christmas or something. Like he forgot to bring it. We went over, uh, we went traveling and uh, he forgot to 
bring my Christmas present, which was a phone. It was my first phone. And he cried to me and he's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, it doesn't really matter. Like, I can get the phone when we go home. Like, that didn't matter to me, but I never really saw them admit human mistakes. Like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry I yelled or like specifically pointing out certain things that they did. It was just like, well, sorry in general and not being accountable for doing what they did wrong. And and the thing is, we all ask kids to be very accountable. You know, you did this, own up to this. Whereas I don't, I don't ever feel like, well, I don't feel like that's as much in parents. Um, I don't feel like as a child, I had that experience of parents or even most caregivers, like teachers and things, admitting mistakes. Like that's, it's very rare. And I think that's important that we also by empowering people to make mistakes and, and be allowed to stuff up and, and, and do those things that we're allowing them to feel more confident and able to overcome those things next time. Whereas I think if we don't own up for our mistakes and say, oh, you know, I did really stuff up, you can't improve, you can't grow as a person. And as a parent, your whole point, or the whole point is to be able to help your kid grow and express themselves and doing that in a non-judgmental way I think is the best way to go about it and that's the same for yourself like giving yourself that same non-judgmental attitude like yeah you made a mistake that's not the end of the world that doesn't mean you're a horrible parent that doesn't mean all of these things that you might think it does and I do know parents struggle with that my mom's admitted to me before you know struggling with those thoughts of not feeling good enough and I'm like I feel the same way we feel the same way like I think it's important that you realize your kids can feel just the same way you're feeling and to show them that even though there are bad feelings like anger and sadness and and all of these things that it's okay to feel them because so often kids are told no don't feel this stop crying stop getting angry stop you know having a tantrum things like that when we're not actually taught well, how else do I express this emotion? How am I meant to express my sadness in a healthy way? How am I meant to express my anger in a healthy way? How am I meant to know if you don't show me? Um, and it's the same for, I'm sure, your parents. Like parents, grandparents, like they didn't know either. And it's about growing and learning from those experiences and breaking that cycle. That's something that I feel really strongly about is breaking the cycle of generational trauma, of how we deal with trauma and not talking about it. That's gotten us nowhere. It's mm. gotten it's gotten society nowhere. It doesn't do anything for our mental health except make it worse. And I think the more people that feel comfortable opening up, the better it's going to be and the more support we're able to provide, the more people are going to want to open up. I really like what you've said there about going back and having these conversations with your mum after the fact and naming those emotions and sort of having that capacity to talk about your experiences from kind of a different lens, I suppose, where you're a bit older now and looking back on those experiences rather than sort of being in the middle of them. And I think that having this conversation between you and I, I'm really hoping is going to be part of breaking the cycle for some of our parents and carers listening and really highlighting the importance of sitting with young people in that moment 
and helping them to name how they feel, trying to really understand what they want to get out of that situation and how they would like to move forward with it so that they can write their own narrative that you as a parent or carer help to write but in kind of a supporting role as opposed to being the lead author or the lead director of the story. If you think back to how it felt at the time, what do you think you wanted from your parents? I wanted to feel like I had a choice in what happened to me because so much of my high school experience was... I didn't feel like I had control of the situation. Like I didn't have control over whether I got bullied at each and every school. I didn't have control over what happened at the schools and what people said about me. But I think if I had a choice in what happened in the resolutions and in what I wanted to happen from the situation, which was just to feel listened to by someone, just to feel like I wasn't going to be judged for what had happened, that They weren't going to try and throw blame around because that was really hard for me as well because my bully was my best friend. So I struggled a lot when they would blame her because I knew that she was struggling at home with things and I didn't feel like that was right. So I ended up blaming myself because I didn't understand how it could be her fault if she was struggling so much because I didn't want someone to blame me because I was struggling so much. So blame was also another big thing. Blaming doesn't help the situation. And I think, yeah, just listening and feeling like, you know, your child has a choice in what the outcome of whatever situation it is. And that's for schools as well. You know, I didn't believe at the time that I was given a lot of choice in what happened, I spoke to teachers and and teachers saw what was going on and and things like that, but I was never really asked what I wanted to happen, which I think would have made a big difference in whether or not I stayed at that school or, or whether or not maybe things improved from there versus got worse. And not trying to solve the my feelings that's that's how I felt a lot it was like how can we make you feel better how can we you know make you not feel this way but feeling that way was important for me because it was the first time you know I was going through these really stressful um, emotions with with friends I hadn't had very good friendships through in primary school so it was my first real experience with like friends and best friends and things like that And I just wanted someone to listen and be there for me and sit with me, like I said, with those uncomfortable feelings. I do think that really empowers kids to be able to handle things later on as well. If you you have an experience where your parent sits with you and listens to what you have to say, and then that situation or something similar makes you feel that way again, you're going to remember that the next time. Just the way you associate happy memories. Um, you're going to associate that when you think of that feeling. You're like, oh, well, this is what happened last time. I, you know, it's, I struggled with it, but you know, I know I can talk to these people or I can do some art or do something to feel a little bit better. And that doesn't mean that stops the feeling. If anything, it's good to feel what you're feeling and not shove it away, but express it through whatever you're doing mm. in a healthy way. And I think think the same about anger. A lot of kids are told not to be angry and that's what they love to express because, you know, they think everything's unfair, which at the time it is. High school's unfair, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and as a teenager, you know, you're being told a lot of things, but then you're also told you have all these responsibilities and it's a very confusing time 
for kids. So I think it's important just to really be there for them, sit with them. And naming those emotions, like you said, like if I was taught to name my emotions earlier, I learned that through therapy. (laughs) I learned that by going to a doctor (laughs) Um, and he taught me how to name those emotions and things like that. So if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't be so good at explaining and talking about it now. And I think that's probably another important thing I wanted to touch on that I wouldn't, although my experience was really hard for me at the time, and, you know, I struggled with suicidal thoughts and, and self-harm um, throughout that time. And I know that's so hard for parents. I really, I do know how hard that is for parents. But it's also important to remember how hard that is for kids uh, to feel that way for the first time, to feel that way and be in school and not feel like you have a lot of power in your life because that's what it is. You don't have a lot of control. You go to school, you go do this done the other thing and if you don't do those things you're not seen as a good kid so I I wouldn't change my experiences because they make me who I am today and I wouldn't be able to talk now and help other people if I didn't have my experiences I wouldn't be so passionate about advocating I wouldn't be so passionate about hearing people out and listening to people and I wouldn't I don't think I would be the person I want to be if I didn't go through the stuff I've gone through but that's not how I felt at the time, and that's okay. Mm. And I think that's important as well, that it's okay that I didn't feel that at the time. The kids don't have to feel like this is a great experience and it's not worth it to say, you'll look back in this long and you'll feel like it's a great experience. They'll figure that out on their own. And saying that can really diminish someone's experience, and I was told that a lot, mm. which made it harder for me to want to accept mm. what I had been through, and it makes it harder for you to be like, to, to really accept what has happened and that it wasn't your fault or it, and it wasn't that person's fault. And, like, there's a lot of different factors that come into play and we're all struggling to work out what we need to do in the world. And, and teenagers are struggling more than... And, like, <laughs> I, I don't know, as an adult myself, I still struggle with, you know, society and, and, and what I'm meant to be doing and what I should be doing and things like that. So... Mm. You know, teenagers these days, I can't imagine how hard it would be for them with social media being so much bigger than it was when I was a teenager. I just very much think that the more support the parents are able to provide, the safer kids will be. I think the importance of one of the things that you've said there is it goes back to what you were saying earlier about how you felt I suppose, invalidated by your parents and other people trying to normalise your experiences and trying to tell you that what you were experiencing was completely normal and that you kind of just had to suck it up and, and get on with it, essentially. And and so too do those feelings come up when people say, you'll look back on this one day and you'll be really glad that this happened to you or you'll look back on this one day and you'll realize that you've learned so much from this experience, which ultimately is probably going to be true. But like you say, it kind of makes you resistant to accepting that this is something that you learned from in your life. And I think that that is a really interesting point to focus on here is this idea of, I think especially for teenagers, if someone tells you that you're going to feel a certain way or that you should feel a certain way, how hard does it become to actually feel that emotion? Yeah, that resistance is uh, very, uh, <laughs> it's very uh, built in, hey? Just wanting to 
if someone tells you to do something or, or to feel a certain way, you're like, no, I feel this way. And that's all about, like, again, like empowering yourself. And that's autonomy as well, like having control over yourself, your own emotions, your feelings. If we don't have control over that, then if we don't feel like we have control of our own emotions, it becomes overwhelming much quicker. Mm. Um, and that's how I felt because I couldn't name my emotions. It just became this blur of thoughts um, that were so intense that I couldn't block them out and I couldn't hear anything else around me. All I could hear were those thoughts. So, yeah, sitting with kids is is really, I think, the most important thing, allowing them to feel what it is they need to feel, whether or not that's comfortable for you or not. I think it's important that we teach them that sitting with your feelings, sitting with uncomfortable feelings is okay um, and you're going to be there for them through that, not feeling alone through that process. And that doesn't necessarily mean normalising it, but you as a parent, you know you've been through similar situations, you felt similarly and you can relate to. Use those experiences. Talk to your kids about your experiences. Tell them what you've been through because never have I wanted to listen more to my mum than when she tells me about her life and what she's been through and how that affected her way of thinking because then I understand her more than I did before. Mm. As kids, we grow up with this weird perception of our parents. They're not really like like people. It's not, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people have that perception where they're like, you know, nah, but that's my parents, you know, but you see all these adults in other different ways. But your parents are humans. They make mistakes. They've definitely made a lot of mistakes in their life. That's how they've learned to be better. And I think it's important that accepting that and being open and honest with your kids about the mistakes you made in your life make a big difference. And that's the thing. Stories create community. You know, we all learn from each other's stories and that's how we connect, by telling stories. It's human nature. And without us being able to share experiences, I, I find it harder to connect with people. And that's not everyone. Other people, you know, might just need an ear to listen to. But I also loved when my mum would tell me about her experiences and, you know, what she went through in school. I don't know what school was like back then, so tell me about it. I don't know what your teenage life was like. What was that like for you? Mm. Were you angry at your mum? Like, because <laughs> they are. They're all angry at their parents too. They feel the same way. And they're like, no, but it's different because it's my parents. And I'm like, but that's how I felt about you guys. But I worked to change that perception, worked to see you guys as people because they are. They make mistakes and they're human. Yeah, I think it's important that we don't have these like, like hyper-realistic expectations of parents. Like, just being there for your kids is a very simple and beneficial thing to do for them. So, Sharing stories to promote human connection and learn from one another is, I suppose, one of the aims that we're hoping to achieve through sharing this podcast, which hasn't just been what I hope our listeners have learned, but also things that I have learned from interviewing people and listening to their stories something that's been circling around in my mind that I've never really thought about or considered before is what you were saying earlier about mediation being an adult solution to a problem between children 
and that mediation kind of puts an adult lens on the situation, whereas most young people will probably have their own ideas and their own views on how to deal with these situations because they, better than anyone, have an understanding of the ecosystem that they exist within. So I suppose I just wanted to share and say thank you for sharing your story today because that's one example of something among many that I've learned from listening to you today. And I think it is important that we start looking for, we we start asking young people, what did they want to do in that situation? I think that's what's really cool about, you know, Kids Helpline and what I'm doing, a lot of my work with your town as well, is they're doing exactly that. They're asking young people what they want to do in different situations and listening to that. And obviously, like, there's times where things, there's certain things that aren't realistic. Of course, that's the same for adult ideas. <laughs> you're going to come up with something and you're like, this is a great idea. And then it's not really realistic in real life. But you will still come up with some great ideas. And I think it's time we listen more to young people. We've been saying it for so long that young people are the future. If they're the future, why aren't we listening more to them? And I had this experience as well. Like, I struggle myself with listening to a a teenager in my life and I had an awareness that I made the same mistakes my parents did. I wanted to do what I thought was best for this teenager and that's where I went wrong because it wasn't about what I thought was best. It was about what that person needed and I wasn't listening to that. And although I'm not perfect, that situation still happen. Even though I'm a young person who's an advocate, I still make mistakes. But learning from that experience and going back and being like, wow, I really should have just listened to that person and, and heard them out and, and made them feel like they could trust me because they didn't feel like they could trust many people. And I saw that happening, but I, yeah, that, that instinct to just want to come in and not make them feel sad and not, and I, I do understand because I went through my own experience of this and it, it was very eye-opening for me. It's actually how my conversation with my mom started is after I went through this, I started being questioning why I made those decisions. My parents did the same thing. I was doing exactly what I had been shown and trying to learn to reteach yourself takes time. It takes a lot of energy and, you know, it does take commitment, but it makes a big difference. And and since that point, I've apologized to that young person and recognized my mistakes and realized what I did wrong in that situation. And that's not to say, like, that's not saying that the teenager was necessarily always right in all of those situations. But me, as an adult, I should have known better than to impose what I thought was best because I know how powerless I felt as a teenager. But at least now, because of that experience, I can go, wow, I should have been better. I'm going to be better next time, do my best to be better. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to possibly make a mistake, but owning up to that mistake and being honest with that young person and saying, I'm so sorry, I didn't listen to you. I should have. And, you know, I came from this place. And even though I did come with these intentions, that's not how it came across to you. And that's what's important. Whether or not I meant to make you feel a certain way isn't actually like important because I made you feel a certain way and I am sorry for that. What I said affected in certain ways and that's why it's important to own up to mistakes because if I've done that, that gives a young person idea of what admitting to like a mistake is and therefore they can use that in their life. You know, if, if they're not shown 
adults taking responsibility for their issues, why would they want to do the same? So I think that's really important message for all people is like we can still make mistakes and we can still fall down in, in, in our intentions. Like we might have intended so, so well, but it hasn't come across that way and that sucks and you're allowed to feel sad about that. But is it more important that you focus on a young child's, you know, emotional development and growth than something, feeling bad about yourself because you made a mistake mm. and then taking that out on them, yeah. Which I think is a big thing that you've already <laughs> spoken about today is this idea of learning from our mistakes and recognising them, but then being able to acknowledge them in a way that lets that person know not just that we know we've made a mistake, but what our thought process was when we were making it and what we're going to sort of be aiming for in the future as well as our intention moving forward, I think is very full circle in that story yeah. that you've shared there. You've shared so many pieces of advice, I think, throughout our conversation today. And like I said earlier, I've already learned so much from this conversation. Do you have any advice for parents and carers who are listening, who are either navigating this space, so in terms of their child might be experiencing bullying or cyberbullying or perhaps is engaging in those behaviours, or any of those other kind of almost just who are experiencing adolescence in general because that can really bring up big emotions regardless of what's going on around that person. Yeah, I do. I think for parents it's important to ask your kids what they need. Um, my advice is I'm not going to give you one way because every kid is going to be different. I can't say that what works for me works for other people, but sharing who you are as a person and not just as a parent, not just as a parental figure, but who you are, your personality, who you are as a person, sharing that with your kid and listening to what they're going through is, yeah, the most important thing. Each kid's going to be different. And take the time. If your kid doesn't want to talk to you about stuff, find something they enjoy and use that to be able to talk to them about what they're going through because that's when I would open up the most is if I did an activity with an adult and while we were doing the activity, they would bring up something or they'd be ask me about how school was or something like that. And that was the times where I felt comfortable enough because we were doing something and and I felt like they were listening because I think a lot of parents think one-on-one -on -one conversations face-to-face -face are the way to go but I don't think that's it's very intense it's very stressful especially if you you know you've got mum and dad or even just one parent face-to-face -face with you it's very intense as a kid doing something like driving in the car or doing a fun activity with your kid like that takes so much pressure off the situation and makes it a lot easier for them to be open. But yeah, ask your kid what they actually, what would help them. And if they don't know, explore some ideas. If they don't know, because that's a lot of kids, a lot of kids are like, I don't know what will make me feel better. I don't know how to stop, you know, I don't know how to express this emotion in a healthy way. Show them. If you don't know, look up 
find research methods. There's so many different resources out there. And, you know, there's also professionals. I think something I didn't touch on, but I really wanted to, is that a lot of the problem with how schools deal with bullying and cyberbullying is they're not professionals in understanding kids' mental health and the complicated mess that is an adolescent brain. And if you don't understand that, I don't think you can understand these kids' experiences, why they're doing risky things, why they're in risky situations, why they're not in school, why they're not in class. If they're doing these things, it's for a reason and it's important that professional people who understand adolescent brains are actually the ones giving advice and not pastors and not counsellors who don't have this experience as nice as those things are, I think they cause more damage than they actually create change. And it would be really interesting if you did a, a poll or something on that because I think there's not many people I know who've had a good experience with their school counsellor and their pastor. Maybe as they're getting older, it's a bit easier, but when you're young and you don't have control of the situation, you don't know how to advocate for yourself. It feels very disempowering when, you know, everyone's making these decisions for you, but they're telling you to grow up and telling you to take on more responsibility, but you still don't have this, this control. Responsibility yeah. of your own life. Yeah, kind of it, it's, yeah. yeah it's... it's um. That's always always confused me as a child is like we were given these responsibilities but then we weren't able to do make certain choices or do certain things. And that's not saying kids need all of the control, not at all, but letting them control certain aspects of their life that are important to them, mm. like a sport or something like that where they really, you know, enjoy it. Letting them have control over that is really important, having a sense of achievement as well. Mm. Like you were saying, I think when young people are a bit confused perhaps about what to do or they're not really sure and they don't have any ideas, especially when they are quite young, giving them two options to choose between can be a really helpful way to get an idea from them about what they want to do. An example might be, do you want to eat a piece of fruit? Yes. What kind of fruit do you want? I don't know. Okay. Would you like an apple or an orange? I want an apple. And that's them making a decision about the piece of fruit that they would like to eat. And another thing that I really loved and wanted to highlight about what you said there is this idea around finding out what situation makes our young people comfortable to have these conversations. And in fact, not just what situation makes our young people feel comfortable to have these conversations, what situation makes anyone who we're interacting with comfortable to have these conversations. So for some people, it's like you said, going for a drive, being side by side, doing something. So if your teenager is old enough to drive and and concentrate on the road at the same time, going for a drive together and having them tell you about what their experience is or having them sit in the passenger seat and tell you about what's going on for them or going for a walk and being outside somewhere or drawing or painting together. All of these things are different strategies for different people that might work to make them more comfortable in these conversations. Fern, 
thank you so much for coming along and for sharing your story and for telling us about your experiences with bullying and cyberbullying and some of the work that you've done since then. I really appreciate it and I can only imagine that this will be really helpful for our listeners as well. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I think it's a really good experience to be able to look back on experiences and be able to tell my story and and learn from those experiences, but also help other people. That's a big thing for me. I'm very passionate about helping community and other people who have gone through things that I've gone through. So thank you so much for having me here today and allowing me to share my experience. I'm now joined by Kim Harper, who is a parenting expert and the parent line manager to discuss what we've learned today and how you can use this information when parenting your children and young people. Kim, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Sitting with our kids when they're in pain or when they're struggling, whether it's because of bullying, whether it's because of cyberbullying or whether it's because of something else, can be really difficult. It's, I think Fern put it so beautifully in that we just want our kids to be happy. And so having them or seeing them experiencing pain or heartbreak or any of those tough kind of emotions can be really difficult. I think what Fern was highlighting is that importance though of being capable as parents and carers to sit with them in that moment and support them through feeling those emotions. How can we get through that uncomfortableness for us as parents and carers to be able to sit with them in that moment? I think the first thing is talking about it like this, to be honest. I think having conversations and highlighting how hard this is, is a really great first step. Look, this is something that human beings do on the daily. When we have a baby and a baby cries, we will pick up a a teddy bear and we will you know, shake it in front of their face because we want them to stop crying. When our friends are upset, we will be like, you know what, forget about that guy. Let's go out. Let's make you happy. We do this naturally. It is only amplified when it's our child. So when we see our child in pain, a couple of things can happen. We want to fix it. Similar, we want to get a metaphorical teddy bear and we want to kind of like shake it in front of their face and make them feel better. That's that's not the right thing to do, like Fern said. So I think the first thing to realise is to kind of capture and catch when we're feeling that as a parent first and foremost. The second thing that we want to normalise is so-called negative emotions, right? When we see our kids scared, when we see them angry, when we see them sad, this notion that we need to push them out of that space a negative emotion is just as important as a positive one, right? We want to have our kids learn how to go through those emotions in a healthy, you know, a healthy way, how to regulate out of that emotion in a healthy, healthy way. The same kind of thing, kind of the the kind of theme that we're going through, I think this whole podcast is connection. Ultimately, regardless of the emotion that our child is dealing with at the time, how do they feel like they're not alone? That's the biggest thing. It is okay for a parent to say that they don't know how to fix it, but they're here. Like you're not alone. I think that's the first thing that we need to be okay with saying. We want it to be a natural state that regardless of the emotion that our child is feeling, that they feel safe and comfortable to bring us anything that they have complete trust 
that if it's a really, really positive emotion, that we're going to handle it well. If it's a negative emotion, we're going to handle it well. And when I say handle it well, I mean what our child needs, not what we need. And that I think is is really, really different or it can be really, really different. So when our kids are having a hard time, uh, feeling sad, are feeling angry, are feeling all the kind of things, I think it's really important that a parent has the ability to put themselves in their kids' shoes. The way that they might navigate a certain situation or the perception that they would have about a certain situation could be incredibly different to how their child is understanding it, is perceiving it. So actually having the ability to have that conversation when our kids are feeling sad, tell me what you need as opposed to me giving them what I think they need is a really important thing as well. I think as well another real theme of these episodes is the importance of language. And I think by labelling emotions as negative or positive, we sometimes think, oh, a negative emotion is one that I shouldn't be feeling as often and I should want to feel positive emotions all the time. But something, again, that Fern said was the importance of feeling sadness so that you can fully understand and appreciate what happiness feels Look, like. if someone felt only happiness, that's what we call mania, right? <laughs> like that, that, that is unhealthy, right? It's, it's, it's not a healthy place to be. And, you know, Fern is 100% right. When people ask me what I feel is like a, the concept of good mental health, good mental health is the ability to navigate both the lows and the highs. How do we flatten them out a little bit? How do we, how do we sit with sadness? How do we sit with, you know, be, anger? Anger is a really interesting one. It's a completely natural emotion. There are many things that you have every right to be angry about. It is a normal response and a normal emotion. There is a heap of things that we have every right to be sad about. It is just as important as happiness is, as curiosity is, as you know, every, every emotion under the sun. What can it look like to support a young person to express an emotion healthily? I think, again, it comes down to communication right? It comes down to feeling safe to be able to do so. And this is something that if we're doing it from a really early age with our kids, it's definitely easier, right? In saying that, it's never too late to be able to do this. It's never too late to be able to actually sit down with our kids and have a conversation with, why don't you, why don't you explain to me what, what you're saying is really important, you're really important to me. How you're feeling is really important. It's also really important to know that if we've never done that with our kids before, they might be like, what is going on, right? Like, this is weird. I feel uncomfortable. If, if regardless of us trying to do something really emotionally healthy, if we've never done it before, it, our kids are going to feel uncomfortable about that. And that's okay, right? You know, they might feel like it's a bit weird as well, but it's important to be able to say that as well. Like, I know that I've never done this before. I'm trying to do better now. That leads me on to the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which was around acknowledging when we as parents and carers have made a mistake. And I think that a lot of people can feel that admitting to a mistake triggers feelings of shame or triggers really huge, again, emotional feelings that we might associate with being ne so-called negative ones. If 
acknowledging mistakes is not something that's been modelled to us growing up, which was something that Fern talked about throughout our episode. How can we become more comfortable with doing that? I think it's really important to break this down into a couple of different spaces. Sometimes it's going to be quite obvious when we've made a mistake. We really kind of want to practice that self-awareness, but we also want to practice the ability of sitting with emotions that haven't always felt quite natural to us. Shame is a huge one, right? The brain is really good at convincing ourselves that we haven't done something, right? So shame is, is good at that. So it's really, really important to be able to sit with that and say those words, The second thing I kind of want to talk about, which is really important when it comes to the parent-child-teenager relationship, is more about the perception, right? Perception is huge. You hear a a lot of kind of conflict will come down to, but I didn't, but you did, but I didn't, but you did. And I think it's really important as a parent that we actually distinguish between an action where we've done something or we haven't done something and how something has been perceived, our, our kids are going to perceive things differently than what we intended them to be perceived. So then at the end of the day, when we're in a situation where a child, our child is feeling like something happened, but we didn't intend that to happen, I don't think it happened like that, we want to be able to talk about what their experience is because ultimately, regardless of our intention, regardless of what, what actually happened, if they've perceived something a certain way, then the emotions that are left from that stay with them. The perception is really important. So if we, and I think one of, one of the ways to kind of explain this as well is that kind of concept of, you know, as parents, you know, if we're working, we've got relations, we've got our own lives, we're busy, what if we miss something? There is no shining beacon telling us that we've made a mistake, but we've just through the, you know, the natural kind of way of life, we've missed something that has been really important to our kid. Right? And what if their perception, for whatever reason, is that we've done that in a deli- like heaven forbid, we've, we've looked a certain way or have said the wrong thing without understanding what their experience is in the time, then their perception in that moment is that we have let them down and we have no idea no idea about that. So if our child is in a space where they feel confident and comfortable to be able to actually tell us that, you've got a choice in that moment. Do you either argue about the fact that that didn't happen or do you understand that that was their perception and you go back to actually kind of repairing that relationship and reconnecting? Because you honestly have a choice at that moment. You can argue it or you can repair it. And it's understanding that their perception is their reality. So, for example, if a child or a teenager or anyone in our life, I suppose these kinds of um, skills can be applied to, is coming to us and saying, I was really hurt by the look on your face when I said X, Y, Z, instead of turning around and saying, well, I didn't mean it that way. So, like, you aren't entitled to feel that way. Yeah, get over it kind of thing. Sitting with our feelings, regulating our own emotions about how painful it can be to be told by our child that we've hurt them in some way, regulating back, acknowledging what they've said to us, so perhaps saying back to them, you know, I hear that you were really hurt when I did that. Is it okay with you if I share what I intended by that? Or I don't even remember that. I'm really sorry that you felt that way. 
Absolutely. But I think that like it's exactly, we can still say, I didn't even notice that. I'm really sorry. I didn't even notice that. Perhaps next time, because I know like what you're having, what you have to say is really important. And I do have a lot on, but you are that important that for you to stop me and say, hey, can I, can I talk to you about this? And you have my full attention. Right. The more we do these, the more we have these kind of conversations, the easier they become, the less we miss. When we do miss it, the easier a repair is as well, because we trust the intentions and we trust the people that we're talking to. And in this stage, it's really important because that relationship is the parent-child relationship, right? So in terms of for people who maybe really struggle with this, the best way it sounds like to get better at it is just to keep practicing. You're never going to be perfect at it. We're never going to do it right every single time. So just practicing that rupture and repair in relationships will help us to get better at that. Absolutely. And you, you nailed it. You're never going to get it right all the time. You're going to miss a heap. You're going to say the wrong thing. Like, do we have the ability to come back and say, I said the wrong thing? We do. Yeah. We, we sure do. do. <laughs> I hope so. Kim, thank you so much for sharing all of that. It was incredibly insightful and I think will be really helpful for people listening. To find out more about anything we've discussed on today's episode, access free resources or get in touch with the show, please visit parentline.com.au and hit the cyberbullying tab. If you'd like to talk privately with a professional counsellor, please call Parentline on 1300 30 1300 or visit parentline.com.au to chat to us online. <laughs>